This is yours. This is ours. This is mine. What's up and welcome to Minds. I'm your host, Jay Hernandez. And as always, I am down here in the Sunjin, enjoying the view. I've got everything finally set back up the way it was before. I had a slight sewage backup down here. Um, doesn't get too bad because I've got the slop sink set up, so I've got two 50-gallon uh, sink sides that fill up before any real disasters happen. But at the same time, um, at one point when I had the plumber here repairing one of the last leaks, they broke the galvanized pipe that went from underneath the slop sink into the old-fashioned style house chase and they replaced it with plastic so now when the sinks back up and they fill up uh, the pipe there the plastic piece they replaced just leaks leaks slowly but surely and I have these carpets down here that make my uh, my cellar look a little more livable and uh, and welcoming and those are the first things to go those are the first things to get soaked I'd roll everything up, break everything down, shampoo the carpets, and then, uh, you know, set it all back up. Now, I haven't really had anybody down here for a while um, since Andrew, uh, since President Zen One, uh, my apologies, uh, using his wrong name, or his real name, his given name. And uh, I'm getting kind of antsy. Like, I, I've interviewed a couple people with my phone just kind of out and about on the road. But it's not the same. It's not the same as having people down here, having a face-to-face, -face, and uh, and really just connecting with people. And I like that. I've got a genuine interest in what makes people tick. Um, just recently, I've sort of expanded my horizons to include uh, writers and, uh, and would-be comics, people who are studying comedy, um, you know, poets, and just whatever. Whatever it is comes my way on my fantastic journey into into my later adulthood because I'm trying to expand my world expand my world the way I would have had I gone to college you know that being said I will update you guys on my this being my sophomore year quote unquote but first again my call to action I am still in possession of, uh, of Mark Marin tickets to his uh, September 9th show at the Comedy Club in Webster, New York. Let me make that very clear that that is a neighboring town of uh, Rochester. So it's very far from where I am, which is close to Asbury Park, New Jersey. Uh, so if you're out there in that area and you listen to the show or you know somebody who likes Mark Marin, or you just know somebody who likes good comedy and, and you want to you wanna do this guy a favor even though you may not know me, um, or maybe maybe you do know me, but you don't know me that well. Um, you know, just uh, let's try to make a human connection here, because I would really, I mean, I'd appreciate just the gesture of that happening, um, but I would also appreciate to just put a, a couple bucks back in my pocket, uh, run on some tight times. We're paying for school for my wife so that she can uh, further her education and, and really um, start the big work, you know? Too many people just kind of, skate through life when something happens like having a child early or um, just not feeling like they'd ever do well in school and then they go get a job and then a few years into that you realize man like you're staring into the void and if you really don't pad yourself for the coming uh, coming days uh, maybe some health scares or whatever it is 
you're really going to be up Shit's Creek. And the last thing you want to be is part of the problem when so many people have uh, such a problem with welfare and, and, and social programs. The last thing you want to do is be a part of all that if, you know, there was something you could do to help yourself and, um, you know, really just elevate yourself and, uh, and take yourself out of that pool because that's for people that really need it. You know, and there's people that, that milk it. There's people that abuse it, people that are on it that, uh, that don't need to be. And for the most part, I'm sure really nobody wants to be there. But when you're in that position and you see a chance to game the system, I mean, who of us wouldn't take that opportunity and kind of pat ourselves on the back for being that intelligent? You know what I mean? Because that's really what it comes down to. It comes down to people that are willing to read the fine print and, uh, and meddle with, the, with some details in order to get free money, just to just to get by, because when you're in that position, that's when you're staring at things that are just too real, you know, things become so real that, that you realize that it's all just a bunch of bullshit, and sometimes not worth fighting for, in a conventional manner, so you, you hide in the darkness, and, uh, and pull strings and levers that, um, that aren't, uh, available to, to most people, or, or that most people don't, don't want to figure out because they they're off doing their own thing you know creating their own empires and universe and that brings me to my throw away your vote campaign uh don't vote for hillary don't vote for trump i mean either one's a joke hillary is a criminal and i hate to like to be the 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 mainstream uh you know oh she's a criminal this and that but you don't need somebody like that running the country you know she 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 did a crime and, and all there's there's it's just too easy to look at it in a black and white manner but at the same time you know <clears throat> i've uh, i've spent a night in jail or, or an afternoon in jail because i had a little uh dime bag on me or whatever it is and you know a crime is a crime and that person should be immediately disqualified from the presidential running and uh and all of this should have been figured out sooner so that bernie sanders could have been given a chance and Trump is just a joke. He's just a fucking joke. So don't even, you know, don't even start with me with that. I know there's some of you listening just, you know, who think that uh, whatever, I want things done for me or whatever. Um, but put it this way. The most of you that I hear talking about Trump, the most of you that I see with his bumper stickers and signs uh, just chomping at the bit for the chance to, you know, be uh, the master of your own universe, you'd be the first to go. Once those floodgates are open, you'd be the first one swallowed up by some bigger, faster, younger, slicker uh, uh, conglomerate. You know, it could be a conglomerate of one or just a board of people, really intelligent minds. You know, these, these people who are so ignorant, who are at the ground level and think that they can, they can really chip away at this thing and own a piece of the rock are the biggest jokes of the whole, of the whole, of the whole thing. You have no idea how many super educated people out there that are just waiting to swallow up all of these working, you know, middle class, middle, middle class, lower middle class people who, you know, struggle to get through every single day and just literally uh, fiduciarily enslave them. And I know that's a little extreme, but at the same time, it's, it's what we're looking at, you know, because once you sign on the fine print, accept the terms of service and hit confirm... Your ass will be sold. You will be sold. And I would not be surprised if we'd heard rumors of people being shipped to, to uh, you know, neighboring countries where, you know, these, these companies own 
uh, sweatshops and 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 packing plants and um, assembling assembling stations, and we actually start shipping Americans to other countries because they've signed on the dotted line and and they're promised some sort of uh, I don't know pot at the end of the rainbow when they're done they do their retirement in a different country and because they they make uh these wages these slave wages <clears throat> in another country and their cost of living is reduced so much that they've actually uh you know made out they're going to cash out on something and you know i don't even know where i'm going with all this but i'm sure it makes sense to some of you and i'm just going to keep on laughing at these people who i see at my level you know, with their Trump bumper stickers, Trump signs, and this and that. You don't have it in you. You think you do. But when you're swallowed up, you're going to be the first one. Impeach Trump. Impeach Trump. This is an outrage. Who let this happen? And we're all going to know who you are. Because you're the ones with the biggest signs out there. Throw away your vote. Vote Bernie Sanders. Write him in. A third party ascension is not going to be a pretty thing. So write it in, let it clink and clank, let it fit and start, uh, let it limp to the finish line. And on the other hand, as I've said before, let Trump get elected and let all this shit just trickle down onto us and, and let us, you know, claw and grab at each other in desperation wondering what the fuck could have gone wrong. And we'll all know, we did it. We did it. So throw away your vote, and either way we'll win, or we'll learn. So, as I said before, my sophomore year is off to a decent start. Um, I'd say it was off to a great start, but, you know, I missed out on signing up for my 201 right away. And it kind of set me back. But at the same time, every brain needs a chance to uh, absorb and really take in any information, especially new stuff, to really um, to really see the bigger picture and let, and let your ideas expand and get a firm grasp of, uh, of new concepts like uh, improvisation, for instance, and um, finding, finding the game of the scene and, and heightening the game, uh, justifying the game or justifying game moves. There's a lot. There's a lot to learn, man. And I'm in 201 now. I just started. I'm, I'm, I just did my second week. And it's going great. And I will have to say, it's a lot less um, nerve-wracking than 101. First off, 101 was a brand new experience. Second off, they kind of let you go on your own thing in 101 and, um, and kind of just get lucky. I mean, they give you the rules. They give you the, the manual. They give you some instruction. And it's just really to exercise your ability to pull something out of nothing uh, with just a few guidelines in mind. Now, 201, it's kind of the same thing, but there's a lot more stopping and and coaching towards the game. Like, oh, what did you just say? Like, why don't you repeat that or or try it this way? Or instead of being, you know, father-son, try being two friends that know each other uh, more familiar. And, um, you know, don't be mad at each other. Be ag Agree with each other and, and figure out a way to, to move this forward. Oh, what was that? You're uh, a pro baseball player who doesn't know who you're playing uh, today and, and you haven't been doing well because you're playing Pokemon Go? Like, use that. That's that's where you're going. Pro ball player, too, uh, too wrapped up into Pokemon uh, to be uh, performing and excelling. Great. Go. 
these are all things that we're doing in 201 and you know the coaching and the prodding and the stopping and starting it's all helping it's it's actually a lot more engaging than 101 where you kind of just felt like you were floating around in space and i'm having a blast and you know i really went in there a little nervous because i'd taken a break and uh but i'm doing well and i feel like uh i feel like i've got a handle on it um 201 is the first level where you actually have to pass uh, with a referral from your teacher to the registrar um, just for the opportunity to sign up for 301. Uh, and they were saying, so if you sign up th for 301 and, and you don't pass, you'll have to go through the refund, pro refund process, lose your 25 bucks, uh, and take 201 over again. So with that in mind, I'm pushing myself to excel. I'm trying to uh, think of it less as you know, let me just do my time, get the classes done, and then I'll be off to 301. Now it's a different ball game, man. And I'm um, doing everything I can to just keep myself fresh and keep my mind right, uh, keep it in the, in, the, in the comedy state of mind, but at the same time in just a real present state of mind where I can tap into my emotions, uh, everything that's going on. There's a lot of new things happening. I'm in and out of the city again. So that, that gives me a little bit of uh, extra uh, fodder for the fire. And on top of that, um, I've started doing open mics, comedy open mics. It's a little rough. Um, I just basically took the first bits, the first few things that uh, kind of just clanked around in my head, and then I was able to find a twist and then a bit of a punchline in there, or maybe just a little bit of uncomfortable subject matter that I can pull some some reality some universal reality out of and it's it's a big you know it's a big deal it's a lot of work and um it makes you appreciate what the bigger comics are doing because you can see that although it looks so easy to say a few words and you know pause here or make a face and or do an act out and uh and something be so funny once you've heard it but to actually come up with these ideas and twist them and turn them and flip them inside out and look at them from this angle and that and to to find the funny it's a lot of work. It's not something you can just do off the cuff. You know, you can get a little idea in your mind, kind of write down the premise in your head and kind of work it out as much as you can on paper. But then really, the magic is, is when you get out there and you start mouthing off uh, to, a, um, to a crowd full of people, you know? And when you start off at comedy open mics, you're really preaching to the choir, so they're they're tough rooms, man, because everyone's there. You know, they're all there to laugh, but at the same time, you know, we're all competition, essentially. Nice little community, but competition nonetheless. And I've done my stuff. I'd say six different times. I did it twice uh, at the Brighton Bar for my Norman Gallery Heist shows, with really no context or concept of how a set should go. I just kind of came up with these things. My first set I ever did, I arrived at the Brighton Bar, realized I didn't have my guitar with me, an essential tool when you're a two-piece band where one member of the band sings and plays guitar. Actually, I don't even sing anymore, so it's like I forgot my instrument. I drove myself home. It's about 15 minutes away, and on the way there, I wrote down on my steering wheel some, you know, jib some mishmash and gibberish, and on the way back, I was rehearsing it. I got back to the Brighton Bar and pretty much immediately had to set up and go. And, you know, I was able to create a little tension. I actually talked about it on, an, on another show, so I'm not really going to relive the whole thing again. But I bombed. I mean, essentially I bombed. And I heard from uh, my buddy that, uh, that my drummer actually 
who had described it as, you know, as uh, did terribly and, and whatever. It's fine. I understand that. I'm not, I take no offense to that. But at the same time, um, you got to do it, man. You, you just got to do it unless you're just a naturally funny person who is just wired and on fire and you know how to, how to just kind of uh, take a room into your grips and, and do whatever it is you want with it and, and mold it like putty. Yeah, and I'm not like that. I'm, I'm the kind of person that's going to have to figure out what it is I want to say and, and my own point of view and then stand behind it and then find the funny. And that's fine with me. <laughs> I've also done uh, my craft at, uh, at Espresso Joe's in Keyport, a nice little low-key place uh, far from where I live, so I'm not really running into any familiar faces. So I can pretty much just be who I want to be over there. And um, it was fun. It was uh, just like a low-profile hangout. Um... Then I tried my I tried my hand over at the Crust and Crumble in Asbury Park, another tough room. But at the same time, I had been tinkering with things so much that day and changing and rewording, and I didn't get much time to memorize it. And I didn't do that great. I kind of rushed through the whole thing, and um, but again, it was fine. And since I'm going to the city now for my improv classes, I uh, I made my way over to Stand Up New York in the Upper West Side. And we went at it, and I did my, my same material. I got a couple laughs, you know, I recorded it so I can listen back to it, kind of see where all the holes are, and, and figure out what what kind of tone I want to use in my voice, uh, whether I want to kind of be like an on-fire kind of thing, or just like, uh, you know, like a really chill, like mumbly, like, yeah, so, uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And it's cool when you can be that, that mumbly kind of low talker, and then just like pop these little punchlines out. Um, but I'm kind of feeling like that's not my personality. So it's probably not the way I'm going to go with it. So that's that. You know, like there's a handful of places up in the city I can try on my way to improv class. And I'm going to do it. You know, I'm just coming up with stuff in my head. I write it down like a little premise. And then I massage it. I massage it out. I try to, I really try to make myself laugh in my head because, um, I've heard it's possible, and that if you can't make yourself laugh, you're really not going to make anybody else laugh. So on top of that, there's a lot of writing that I've been doing lately. Uh, my short stories for a thing that I will be entitling Weird Son, which I don't know exactly what, sh what form it's going to manifest itself, but uh, at first I figured it would be like a one-man show, maybe with music. Um, then I kind of went the short stories route, and now, you know, I'm starting this stand-up thing. So I don't know. There's really a number of ways I can take it, but Weird Sun is, is basically my concept. I'm drawing everything that I'm writing about, that I'm doing stand-up about. Even, even my improv is all really drawing from my uh, nostalgic point of view lately. I'm 35. I've got two kids and a wife. I'm running a small business um, that's, you know, really not going anywhere, but uh, but at the same time, it's not going anywhere. So um, I'm trying to be creative, and I'd like to take a shot at setting myself up with something that I could do from the comfort of my own home or, or venturing out into clubs or whatever it is uh, into my older life, you know? Like, I don't want to live to spin a hamster wheel. It's not the way I ever thought about my life. I'd rather get old and not be very old and maybe get sick and die than, than to really drag it out much longer than it really needs to be because 
you know, when, when you look back in your life and it's really just like you're in your armchair watching TV, you, you, you know, you get up, you make yourself something to eat, then you walk to like, you know, the ice cream store and, and, and see a couple people that, that you always see on the block and then, you know, you walk back, you, you sit back in your armchair and watch your other show, then you make yourself dinner and then, then, you know, you go to bed. Maybe you work out in the morning and, and that's it. And, like, it's fine. And, like, you've done your hard work to, to pay for your bills and your house or wherever it is you're going to live. That doesn't really sound appealing to me. It never has. It never has. And that's probably the same reason why I never really had, like, big dreams. All I ever saw in my future and ahead of me was the next move that I wanted to make. So I've lived my life. And uh, it might not be pretty. I apologize to you out there that have to watch and cringe and uh, and perhaps feel bad for me and maybe like uh, in the back of your head you want to offer me something or some sort of hand or maybe some advice like hey maybe you should really like you know get your shit together and uh and really 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 up 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 the ante you know like like get your game up um so i'm sorry but this is how i'm doing things and this is how i plan on doing things and you big dreamers out there I wish you all the best. I hope you can spin that hamster wheel the fastest in your bridge group. I hope your microwave TV dinners are, are you know, the tastiest hungry man, you know, with no preservatives and maybe you have a vegan option. I hope your TV shows, you know, are, are age appropriate and they make you laugh. And, and, and think about, you know, think about your life and make you want to, like, you know, call your grandkids or, or an old friend, you know, and, and you can be happy with that. You know, I really do. And I wish you the best. But I'll tell you what. If you're at that point, and for some reason uh, I ever come across your mind, and you think about how how sick I got and how bad I had it. And how 20 years earlier than, than you're having that, that moment right there, I kicked the bucket. And they incinerated me, just burned me up, put me into an urn. And I'm on maybe like six different people's mantles. Which is asking a lot because I don't know that I'll mean that much to that many people by that point. I hope there's something, just some feeling, just a little tiny bit, just nudging you on your shoulder. And I hope it feels like when I used to nudge you on your shoulder. And I hope that, uh, that you hear some words materialize and maybe you hear them in my voice. And you hear me. And you remember me. And my words. And I just lean in. Close to your ear. But I'm familiar. I'm not, you know, I'm not scary. I just get nice and close. I'm still nudging you.
So today on the show, I got uh, the Cringeworthy Collective. They are a four-piece, I only talked to a three-piece, but a four-piece collective of poets from the Rochester, Buffalo, New York area. Actually, Buffalo, uh, I believe they're from. Um, I had the pleasure of catching, uh, catching a set, uh, two sets actually from these guys, because I had started going to um, these poetry reads uh, that um, you know, people that I'd interviewed previously on this podcast uh, are have been throwing for the last year or so, and uh, and doing the open mic portion after the features uh, to read my short stories. You know, like I know the guys, and uh, I don't want to say that it's because I know them, but I'm just like, look, guys, you know, I don't really write poems. Like I write short stories. Um, poems to me, when when I write them, just feel like disconnected and incomplete. So it's just not my style. I've not uh, wrapped my brain around it. So I'm just going to do this thing. So if I can read that at the open mics and it's cool, then I'll come. And I, and I started coming. I did about four or five of them now with my first pieces that I got uh, documented for my Weird Son publication thing or whatever it is that I'm going to be coming out with. And I caught Nathaniel William Stolte's set of just really straightforward, rough around the edges, um, I, cringeworthy for lack of a better term uh, just no nonsense fuck you poetry and you know after getting to know him a little bit and having a, a pre chit chat before the main chit chat uh you know I, I i'm i'm aware that he had a a drug problem a smack problem that, that got pretty bad and uh you know he even spent some time being homeless and you know he's got a good um a good knowledge of, of what it's like to be a junkie, a squatter, uh, you know, the kind of dubious people that you, you hang around. And it's all in there, man. It's all in his poetry. Nathaniel William Stolte. So I don't want to leave out the other guys. Uh, we got Julio Montalvo Valentin, a Hispanic guy. I forget where it is. He said he was from you here in the interview. You know, he kind of, he was a little more soft-spoken, but at the same time just delivered these blows to the gut comfort shattering uh, little uh, it's hard to explain because it almost felt homey and comfortable and warm but at the same time it's just like you know in that situation where where that's all you know is the comfort of your own home and the warmth of, of your you know security blanket and then just like your most painful memories kind of wrapped up into that or like things that you're nostalgic for uh, from your childhood that you know, bring back crippling memories of, of you know, trauma and just stuff that, that you just want to put behind you. And then Robert Smith, whose sets I, I, I didn't catch. You know, I don't really have um, the time. I really can't afford myself the opportunity to just hang around these places all day or all night for a show. I'd love to. It's it's a good community and a good atmosphere. But, um you know, so I missed Robert's stuff, but uh, they were kind enough to give me their first chapbooks that they've all put together themselves, as you'll hear in the, in the interview that, um, you know, the Chapman was the guy that, uh, you know, wrote his own stuff, edited, uh, you know, and printed and stapled all the books together and distributed everything. And that's where the chapbook thing comes from. <clears throat> so you hear them talking about all that and, uh, and the fact that they've picked up... Uh, Another member, uh, Mistral Celeste Canbecerra, 
is how I remember uh, Nate pronouncing it, um, which they were going to be picking up after the two dates that they did around here um, for another leg that was going to take them uh, into the Midwest or wherever it was. And, um, you know, so they're a four-piece. I didn't get to see any of Mistral's stuff since they hadn't picked her up yet, but uh, I'm hoping they'll be back. I'm hoping they'll make their way back through here because it was a it was a good bunch, you know, and they fit right in with everything that's going on between uh, Damian Rucci and um, and Cord Moreski and Charles Joseph and Maggie Danger Brown and all these guys uh, coming up in this area that are holding it down, and uh, and it's a good fit, you know. Or maybe we can all take ourselves out that way and um, and then fit ourselves into their into their universe, into their little corner of things. So, I mean, that's an update on everything going on over here, over this way. So again, throw away your vote. Write Bernie Sanders in. Fuck this election up. And, uh, and buy my Mark Maron tickets. September 9th, the Comedy Club in Webster, New York. Please, help me out. I love you guys. New York, which is a, a second, that's a third ring suburb of Buffalo. All right, oh, okay. All right, so are well, you guys from Buffalo? Yeah. yeah. yeah right. I'm an eight-year, I'm an eight-year resident of Buffalo. Okay. Yeah. It took me a while to get used to saying that. I was like, are you from the from Brooklyn, right? Bronx. The Bronx. Bronx. Okay. For a long time, I was like, yeah, yeah, Bronx all the way, Bronx all the way. And then it, the environment got me, and now I'm Buffalo for sure. You can't, you can't fight. Like I'm new to this area. I mean, 15 years, but I'm from, I'm from Red Bank, and uh, um, it's like whatever, 10, nine miles uh, uh, north of here. And there, it's like a little more. I mean, not urban, but it's not beachy, not not beach town at all, right? So I was like jeans, t-shirt, sneakers, socks, all the time. I moved here. And uh, same thing, like, you know, the beach, I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not wearing shorts, I'm not wearing flip-flops, like, fuck that. Uh, I mean, event, like, it'll, uh, it, it gets its days where I do, but for the most part, I will literally still show up to the beach in pants and my sneakers, because I'm just like, you have me, all right? You got me, beach, but you're not going to get, not fully, you know, you're not fully, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll she try goes, it. I'll try it a little bit. Yeah, 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 exactly. I was uh, born and raised in Buffalo. Okay. You're like when we were talking about the, uh, the three week summer that you guys get up there. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's still winter out there, right? That's sort of construction. <laughs> But the rust is still chewing everything away. Yeah, the rust is never sleeps. That's just the end. While I rest. Yeah, the snow trucks are out all year long. You never know, right? Yeah. It has snow in the. We've had snow in July before. Okay, a long time ago, but we usually get around five months where it's not snowing, usually, right. five or six. And then at least a good month's worth of like decent yeah. weather. Right? Yeah, yeah, Not bad, not bad. So, all right, let me cover, yeah, let me cover my, my buffalo knowledge. And I'll start with uh, next Friday. Every Time I Die. You guys a fan of the band, Every Time I Die? Band? I know who they are. You know who they are? You listen at all? I've heard of them. Is that it? I've been following the last couple of years. Well, I've seen like, 
ages or whatever, but they're, they're, that's my own. I know the Google Dolls are from Buffalo. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I've actually uh, met uh, Rob. I can't think of his last name. He's like Robbie Google. I've met him a whole bunch of times. He's, he's actually, him and Ani DeFranco are huge supporters of the arts in Buffalo. Ani DeFranco uh, bought a shirt and made Righteous Babe record studios there, and they, they have art openings and... Um, don't let, don't let concert halls, concert halls, and uh, like a theater. So it's um, a, sort of a, a little mecca in uh, the burgeoning downtown sprawl of uh, Buffalo, like Buffalo proper, uh, the actual downtown, which is uh, gentrifying and, and growing quite a bit. Okay, yeah. I believe uh, Rick James, right? Yeah, Rick James. Rick James out there. So. Yeah, yeah. Great yeah. 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 a huge fan. Famous, uh, or like Buffalo famous cemetery. It's like the big cemetery. And, it's, and it, it was a polka stop as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, people would uh, would catch uh, mimics there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it true people go there and like like piss on Rick James' grave? Like, <laughs> I've been there once. And yeah, I've never been there. When I went there, there was like four cans of hair gel. <laughs> like, some people love them. I don't know. Some people hate them. Like, there's this photo circulating on Facebook of a guy doing like coke lines off of Rick James's grave which he would probably love Rick James you know he would love it he's a ridiculous person Lucille Clifton's also from from Buffalo just outside of Buffalo Lockport small town amazing amazing poet so describe like describe like what like you were saying like Buffalo proper like what's what's like the landscape of that as compared to like I guess the surrounding suburbs like where you're from or whatever well I've noticed in New Jersey other than the fact that you're on the shore right where we are in Asbury Park we're on the shore of the Atlantic Ocean if I'm not mistaken we're on the shore of Lake Erie which is another like plastering size pool that is uh, being destroyed by industry, yes, right? Yeah. Um, we have all the same same stuff. There's like we have Rite Aid okay. and uh, Moe's Southwest Grill, and like it is literally exactly the same. We might as well be in a suburb of Buffalo right now, except for like you were describing. There's a lot of people wearing like beach ready attire, which people are still wearing in Buffalo because we have those little beaches that every you know like twice a season they'll be like, don't swim in the lake, right? And, and because of the bacteria or whatever, and then like two weeks later they're like, oh, it's cool now, and it's uh, I'm, I'm skeptical. Of that, but, when um, when the when the elections come rolling around, it's it's fine to swim. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to make those practice laps to Canada. Yeah, yeah. you got to know your limit. Probably still go to the beach when it's like sixty degrees out too, right? Yeah, it's yeah, relatively like relatively. Yeah, around there actually. Yeah. We're, we're also like might as well be Canada, so that's another uh, yeah. considerable difference yeah. between um, I guess the community that yeah. we would have. Yeah. Here, as opposed to Buffalo, we are so close to Canada that, like, where my girlfriend lives, you can walk 10 minutes and be at the Canadian Walk 10 minutes. It'd be faster to walk because you have to walk around to get to the entrance. Even like, like our mannerisms, and like colloquialisms, are like, you see a lot of the same stuff that Canada does, or at least regionally that part. Like, I say, hey, hey, is thing. Yeah. What we've noticed on this trip so far, coming from Buffalo and starting in. 
um, people are New Jersey and then now here in Asbury Park, New Jersey, is that um, America has enough strip malls and that they all look exactly the same over here in the East. And uh, I haven't traveled much further west except on airplanes. And the only thing that I know is much different about, say, this area and Buffalo from California and the area in California that I've been to is there was a lot more Spanish in um, California and a lot more names of places like El Pollo Loco and like the chains there were, uh, and so it was just a different climate. Yeah, well, the tropical weather, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's what they're looking for. So, yeah. we, we are probably more offended about their... Yeah. Thanks, make that work. <laughs> so, all right, you guys are the Cringeworthy Poets Collective. Yeah, we're from Buffalo, New York. Cringeworthy And the second stop of our Poetry Sucks Tour 2016. All right, and your name, let's, let's go to names. I'm Nathaniel William Stolting. <laughs> Robert Jason. And Julio Matavo Valentin. And how'd you guys meet? How'd this whole thing come together? College. Yeah, oh, college. Okay. Yeah. Actually, co-workers. Like a lot of things uh, yeah, in life. College. college. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't know. I never went. <laughs> so I um I noticed that in Buffalo, yeah. Oh, yeah. where we live, there's a lot of slam poetry. Uh, it's very successful. Competition poetry as opposed to literary poetry. It's uh the only difference is like you write a poem and then you slam it and you compete. Uh, as opposed to like writing a poem and putting it in a book and sharing it or reading it at an open mic or coveting bits of yourself or whatever it is. People do with poetry, I don't know. I don't know what I've done and what I've seen other people do. I'm sure there's other things I haven't thought of. Yeah. Um, yeah, I got a bit of a rundown from uh, Maggie. Actually, I interviewed Maggie, uh, Damien, and Corey. I asked them each other what they think about the whole slam uh, and all that. So yeah. I, I kind of got the. I mean, it's mainly like competition, and then you kind of see like what. Uh, I guess based on delivery and then like and um, also literary like how to deliver certain things and yeah. for points or whatever yeah. so. so I don't know much about the technical aspect of that but I have um, met and, and formed relationships friendships uh, with some some slam posts in Buffalo and saw that they, that they would form little groups and then they would like travel together and read together and do stuff together and, and, and help each other edit and write and perform and become better and I noticed in that community they were stronger so they're a piece of a whole that's greater than the sum of its parts and uh, and so to emulate that I proposed to Julio and Mistral Celeste Canbecera who we're going to pick up in uh, Pittsburgh uh, tomorrow at like 6 o'clock at night I think we'll get there after our reading in Easton we're going to pick her up and then we'll go to Indianapolis her and our friend uh, Justin and uh, Tragedy uh, we all formed this little group I was like hey why don't we like make a group and we'll like like home together and we'll, do, we'll workshop each other's stuff I was like yeah sure let's do it why not and then, um, it's like a writer's room exactly but yeah. we came up with a name and uh, came up sort of with like uh, an idea of what we wanted to do we don't have like a mission statement or anything but then Justin and Tragedy sort of tapered off and faded away and then it was just the three of us and then I met Robert um, in a, a we worked together in a college in a writing lab and um, he was making a chapbook for one of his uh, for three credits in his honors program and then he joined with us very recently he's the newest edition of our uh, of our collective so he's number four and somewhere in there we started making our own chapbooks at Mistral's uh, kitchen 
Yeah, at her yeah. kitchen table. That was her yes. idea. That was and her idea. So she yeah. did it on her own and then showed us. And so we started making our own chapbooks. And now we have a small press, CWP Collective Press. Yeah. And we make our own books and books for some other. And, and yeah, for, for anyone local or anyone afar. Now, how long was that process between like inception and then to like having chapbooks? And almost, almost right after we really formed the group and actually. Um, saw ourselves as members of that group um, that we figured if we're going to be reading poetry and putting them into chapbooks, we can put them into books ourselves too. Right. And we in and, and our process of doing our books, uh, Nathan and I, um, and Bobby, we all had a similar um, discovery to the chapbook uh, uh, creation. Plus, uh, uh, he was saying that, that not many people are doing chapbooks. No, you guys. No, no. There's no one. There's no. Uh, there's no small bookstore like Guide to Culture in Cleveland, or like um, Max Packs in Cleveland. Are the, the two that I found that uh, deal in chapbooks. So you could go there and sell your own chapbooks. You could make them yourself. And um, uh, our, yeah, they'll, they'll buy them from you and distribute them. They won't even like mail them check later. They'll buy them from you right there and then sell them later and support and support the arts. There's nowhere in Buffalo really doing that. We host an open mic at um, Rust Belt Books, and we're gonna propose that there. She has a lot of like old chapbooks and chapbooks that she's just gotten. However, but she's not really. Uh, she doesn't really deal in chapbooks in the capacity that R.A. Washington and Suzanne in uh, Cleveland do. And there's other places as well. She needs a collective like you guys to kind of bring her the, the working uh, already she can attach yeah, exactly. to, her, to her thing. Yeah. You can't just buy one chapbook and then expect someone to know to come to buy this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. sort of a collection of, of, of ideas and everything. So what would one uh, a poet like you guys, um, what, would, what do they have to aspire to as far as like publication... Uh, out there other than like making their own chapbooks the way you guys do like, what? There's, there's tons of um, there's a huge you can get like a writer's journal or the writer's, writer's chronicle as a publication that will tell you all these uh, places that are looking for submissions you can nationwide yeah. 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 Uh, but a lot of them have editor's fees so if you're relatively unknown you're basically paying 20 bucks for this uh, whatever right. whatever journal it is uh, for that yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you're paying for them to publish more well-known poets, and you just get a rejection letter. I've gotten a lot Wait of a rejection letters. But I've also had um, my first beard in ghost GTA Journal, which is uh, R.A. Washington's. Uh, my work is appeared on Plurality Press, which is a Buffalo journal. So, Coast uh, City is in um, Syracuse, New York. So, my work's appeared in journals, but not ones that have an editor's fee. So, really, the landscape is you can pay money until you, someone picks you up and, and pay to play. And uh, that seems unfair. And there's, um, there's not. There's very little difference, in my opinion, between um, writing, formatting, hand-making your own book, and selling it yourself. And, uh, I mean, the only difference in that is that I have a, I have 100% uh, say in everything that happens, and I have a 100% creative uh, process. Or I can uh, attempt to enter a competition for a chapbook and pay the $20 entry fee, and maybe they'll pick it up, and then they'll make it the way they want it. And and the merit to that is then you can put that on your CV or resume. Right. So then when you're a, when you're 
uh, submitting for publication elsewhere if my work has appeared here, my work has appeared here, my work has appeared here. And it almost seems like you need to get uh, that in order to be taken seriously. So fuck you, we're going to make our own books and we're going to sell them ourselves. Yeah. And I'm going to come to New Jersey, we're going to come to New Jersey and we're going to sell our books here. And maybe you'll remember my name. Maybe you'll read a poem of mine and then later see something somewhere. Yeah, I mean, Yeah, because uh, yeah, take, out, take out the element of, of the computer, for example. It, now we're here sitting on this table in New Jersey, coming from Buffalo, and actually talking to each other right. about the poetry. You know, yeah. and actually talking about the process, about the the work. Instead of you look at my words and yeah, sure, it can be a good poem or not. But I fly right you, by poetry on social media. Like I'll read some, but no, like knowing knowing Damien, haven't seen him. Uh, I'll read it because I know it's. I can read it in his voice. But for the most part, like you said, it's like it's, it's so, so much harder to, especially in this generation where we have the swipe. Mm-hmm. You're just swiping. Yeah. Swiping. You don't take the time to look at the words on the screen. Well, that's why we. That's why I think it's been a. It's been an amazing experience to be able to not preach, but just share and show words vocally as opposed to letting you sit there and actually take your time and hearing these, looking at these words. Right. right, right. You know? And then afterwards, then you're like, okay, I, I hear the delivery he's coming out of out of this. Well, shoot, what else has he got? Right. And then you start seeing, when you hear us read, you start getting a sense of identity of that reader. Yes. And then when you look at it on the page, you keep that image in mind when you read that. It makes it so much easier for someone to really appreciate the poem when they have a face behind it. Yeah. Yeah, yes. yeah. That's why I don't. I, I try not to saturate myself with so much stuff because I want a personal connection with everything that I'm into. You know, whether it be MP3, DVD, a, a, you know, a comedy show I'm watching or a movie or yeah. Um, you know, that's why a lot of stuff loading loaded into my CD player, or like in my in my phone, is like just stuff from people that I know. You know, it's grainy. It's some of it's not like done to the greatest, you know, extent of, of their abilities. But order, you're but sweating over it. I know you know, people, I know the streets, I hear their voice, you know. So, and that's, that makes that personal connection. So, where, where, where has your stuff appeared? My stuff has appeared at Polarity Press, and we're in the process of being publicated at our, our old school. Um, and that should be coming out. Already, in, right? Yeah, and that should be coming out in September. Uh, as far as the rest of my publications, I've done the submissions, but I prefer the ones nearby. I'm waiting for our uh, a Rochester group called uh, uh, Just Poets in Rochester. They have an anthology, amazing poets, amazing poets there, and I'm just waiting for the opportunity to submit there because I want I want my pieces to go to places where people are going to want to read that book. Right. I want I want to share space with those who appreciate the word just as I. Or somewhere where you can physically take yourself and say, oh, this is where it's going to appear. Yeah, I, you I, connect I, the face and the voice with exactly. Peace. Just being here today. Just being here today, I know I'm going to want to come back again. Right. I know my words are here, and that's my anchor. Now I can come back here and set my boat down and breathe. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of how the, my ship theme came across. That you know, I'm just just this body that's moving around in this ocean, and I need somewhere to rest. Right. And this is this is what this is about for me. You know, we, we all have our different, uh, we all have our individual goals as well, but when it comes to a group, we all agree that the journey 
is what makes this powerful. It, right. it's, it's, it's all about the Ties journey. it all in. Yeah. That reference Julio just made is that his first chapbook was uh, Don't Give Up the Ship, and his second chapbook is uh, Ship Lost. And look for ships and giggles coming uh, probably later this year. We're waiting on cover art. Something that we've done is um, get other people involved in collaborating with our chapbooks as well. Not only have we made our cover art, but other local artists have as well. And we're going to try to delve into doing an anthology from the Brown and Sky uh, Buffalo poetry series that we all host. And um, something that's more interesting about, in my opinion, more interesting about a chapbook than, say, being able to swipe past her or like I see homes on Facebook and on the internet and I tend to, so like you mentioned, I tend to go past them pretty readily uh, is it's it's like something tangible that I can take with me and usually they're shorter I mean a chapbook is shorter it's I want to say less than um, 25 or 23 pages is the, the like clinical definition uh, my definition of it is that it's um, a Chapman was somebody that uh, wrote published, made, and sold, and barkered their own work. And that's the tradition that I'm trying to follow, is uh, that we make our own, and we're going to do DIY. We do it ourselves, we uh, we sell it ourselves, we market it ourselves. There's no, there's very little overhead. We're not making money doing this, but we're, uh, no, no we're trying one, to make no poetry more accessible for a younger generation. And as a collective, that's the way to go. Especially, like, I don't know about, you know, the past and whatever, there's always, uh, you know, creativity's always kind of followed it's the path of least resistance or whatever, in this day and age with like the whole free cast, uh, free tail and everything, you don't make anything on anything. So the more people you can kind of get together to do things like artwork and, you know, uh, content, which I hate that word, but, um, you know, it just seems that collaboration is almost one of the only ways to survive. Yeah, that's interesting. I had never thought of that. Yeah. We just, um, to answer a question you said earlier, we formed this little collective not really knowing what we were doing. The two of them faded away, and within a couple months of, uh, of us, of inception and them fading away, uh, Misty, Miss Strau came with a chapbook that she had made, and we started making our own book. So it was like, uh, it was very organic. It was like, uh, we formed, they left, we started making books. And, uh, and it, it wasn't that like they were like, fuck this, well, it was just sort of um, like, John, uh, Justin was getting married, and it's tough to like yeah, yeah, be involved. I mean, we, we do a lot of readings, we do a lot of traveling, we've been doing a lot of stuff. And, um, it takes a, it's a lot of commitment. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know this summer hasn't been the easiest uh, of things, and I'm sure it hasn't been easy for any of us. Uh, I mean, Nathan works like crazy, and he's always pulling as many responsibilities to himself, and we're always trying to share the burden of everything that is required to really get our poetry off the ground and to deliver it. I mean, uh, I know for me, I've been having a hard time with a lot of family commitments, and normally during the summer, it's it's prime time for me. I work day labor, work doing odd jobs, doing all these kind of repairs, and it kind of requires a 24-hour attention presence. Yeah. Yeah, but ever since I started this whole poetry thing, and ever since I, I realized the people that were close to me and how, how this has connected us, I realized this, this means so much more. 
Well, that you, that's that's the time because I feel like I'm going through the same thing right now where I've worked literally a decade, um, just you know keeping my head down, making the money, saving, you know, get, getting the kind of a living situation I need to be in, making sure my business is secure because I'm the, you know basically the face of it, uh, and then all of a sudden you know. I went sober last March, and uh, my whole world cracked open. I was doing music and this and that. That just seemed to like die off into nothing. It's been my passion for almost 18 years now. And I just started uh, like studying comedy and writing, and just like starting to like just you know, make sketches, just whatever. Like I was literally doing all these things with no knowledge of even how to do them because I just I could picture it in my head and figure like okay, a, a script would read like this. It's got a name, you know, a colon and some words. You know, so, and then I started researching it, buying yeah. books, I took the improv classes, and all of a sudden, all this burst of creativity gave like all this hard work and actual meaning. I was like, okay, this leaves me, uh, this leaves me with the notion that I may, I, I might not just be spinning a hamster wheel when I'm 67 years old, just to just to get up and you know piss four times at night and go back to bed, wake up in the morning, go to the gym, you know, all sit, routine. feed the ducks, and then, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, we gotta love the ducks. Now. I yeah. gotta love the ducks, but I mean, like, to, like, just keep your head down your whole life, and then that's, like, you know, that's living, you know, happiness or whatever. I just, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I, I couldn't deal with that. I, before the tour started, I talked to a few friends of mine in New York City, and a lot of them are... They, they've always expected great things of me ever since high school, and I, I feel like I have let them down over the time out of a lot of sacrifice and time to put down. But as soon as the poetry thing started, um, they're always supporting me by showing their love on Facebook and sending me messages and calling me and letting me know, oh, where you are, let me see if I can come see you. And it's always about... The contracts. They always tell me that oh, if you if you were here, you'd be working just as much as us. And I wish I was there. I was like, well, you just need to find your poetry. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to write down something for right. you to right. call it poetry. But there's a there's different types of poetry. Maybe you find a different art. Maybe you find a, a different uh, port that you can uh, escape to and be able to reveal yourself. Yeah. It's, it's the, the, the poetry of life. You see what your journey is actually going to mean other than like a, a, a healthy bank account and, uh, you know what I mean, a, a car. And a, I mean, don't get me wrong. Those those things sound really nice. Those things are great. I just really feel like they need but, purpose. Yeah, yeah, they do. I, I agree they need purpose. And where can we find your stuff? Where, where's your stuff? Um, I'll be in Go City Press, the new one coming out. Hopefully everything goes correctly. Um, I'm gonna be in. Uh, what's the name of the journal? Mutado Ray. Mutado Ray. Mutado Ray. Mutado Ray. I'll be in yes. that. Hopefully, if things go correctly. Everything's not always 100. percent Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> maybe, I know, I know. Yeah. Especially with like art people, because they're always kind of like all over the place. Well, that's the whole thing. It's yeah, like, you know, they, they love this stuff, but in the end, it's just like, oh shit. There's I always this chaos day. going on. Okay. Yeah, you read about. It. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you're the newest member yes. to the collective. Yes. What was yeah, that yeah. like, kind of coming in? Because I, um, I, I mean, I didn't just like join. I, I've known them for about a, like almost a year, probably, right? Yeah. So I've known them for a long time, relatively speaking. And uh, I don't know. I was always sort of like feeling it out. I was doing poetry, going to the Bronx Sky thing they host, and 
We got my chapbook done uh, a few months ago, actually, and uh, they offered me a spot, so uh, I took it, and here we are. Right. I, 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 we, uh, at, at first, it was all it was just us three because that's all we could have managed at the time, and we we seemed to have attributes that benefit each other. So it was kind of like a, a like a perfect three triad. Yeah. yeah. So it it worked fine, and and so we didn't see the need right away to to add anyone. But then we saw that Bobby was putting legwork. He was coming to readings with us to Rochester. Nice. He was he was going to places. Huh? Corning. Yeah, Corning. Corning, New York, which yeah. is even further. Even further. Museum. Corning, the Glassware Museum. Yeah, yeah, we went there that day. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah. And, uh, um, we sort of had, uh, like, things were going well. I'm, um, I'm gregarious by nature, and uh, my ego is big enough that I will, um, I'm not afraid or, uh, I'm not shy about promoting us. Mm -hmm. So I've been our, like, mouthpiece, face, and yeah, ego. Yeah. And uh, Misty yeah. is our brain. Yes. And, um, and well, both Misty and I are kind of dicks. Like, we're kind of assholes <laughs> a little bit. And Julio is our reluctant heart. And it's my belief that the reason that people like us so much is because of Julio. Because he's so <laughs> likable that uh, it kind of um, shadows I, my arrogance. Hey, I can and, be just uh, as much. Um, like, mine and Misty's kind of asshole-ish. Well, it's yes. like a it's like a band. The more the more I look at it, because I mean I know music. I don't love it anymore, but I, like I know it. And you got the lead singer, you got the guitar player, yeah, the front promoting assholes. You, know? you got the bass player. Nobody gives a shit what he thinks, but he's, he's, a, he's a, an integral part. I mean, he holds yeah. the whole backbone of the rhythm section, and then the drummer really keeps the rhythm. Yeah, you know, and and, uh, and it's just like it's it's that. It's just that right connection and the right feel. Like you yeah. said, you had those other two members that sort of fell away, and uh, and when you when you kind of just clump a bunch of stuff together, uh, whatever, so I guess we're like what's up, one I guess, something like that. <laughs> I was hoping more like BGs. <laughs> Why can't we just be like us? Why we gotta be like something that already exists? Why can't we be I something new, something uh, innovative? Okay, so something ridiculous. I mean, I'm kind of going head first in this, and I, I kind of feel like I know what I'm gonna get. But um, just like book plans cover, I'm like, all right, cringeworthy poets collective. Obviously, there's more than one of you. Cringeworthy kind of implies like that you're you're drawn at the heartstrings or maybe a little provocative, whatever. Is there any sort of like standard you guys set when it like, comes as far as it comes to like personally <laughs> like, standards? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I don't think we like yeah. collaborate standard. Like there's um there's poems of Julio's that I don't like when he reads. They literally make me cringe. And then I have to remember that um for the record I wanted our name to be Madcap, which means erratic, which is my personal. Uh, that's the kind of poetry that I sort of write in me as a person. And um and then Julio said cringeworthy when we we're like sitting around the table coming up with names like just throwing stuff out there. And I was like, ooh, that's really good. And then we voted and I didn't win. And uh, and. Uh, and I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad about it, but I like just because there's um, stuff by somebody that I'm, I don't necessarily love it doesn't mean that it's for me. And then uh, just because I have something that I, uh, of my own that you might not love or whoever might not love, it might touch someone else. Like last night at the reading, this girl read a very uh, a direct and simple piece of prose about her uncle's addiction 
with um, heroin addiction and ultimate demise from it that spoke to me so personally that I, I would emotion stirred inside of me and, and welled up and I um, and I almost cried. I was yeah. like gonna tear up. And I, I guarantee there was somebody in that room like all this fucking shit. You yeah. know what I mean? So it wasn't for them, it was for me and whoever else felt like, you know, and, or maybe just for her. So it, it doesn't matter that uh, I might not necessarily love uh, one of Julio's poems or he might be sick of one of mine or whatever. And I think that goes back to us being pieces of a whole that's greater than the sum of our parts and my personal feelings uh, and views and, and tastes uh, don't dictate us as a whole, but they dictate me and my own. Okay, all right. Yeah. So there's not, there's not like a poem that one of these guys can read where you're like, oh, all right, uh, that was it. You're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> well, was, I'm not in charge of anything. Too fluffy. No, or like, no that, that's the thing. When when we when we write our pieces, we, we um yeah we, we we come to each other uh, from time to time about. Uh, some kind of reassurance, or or maybe uh, see something that that I can't see. Like maybe maybe my, not clear. Like Nathan has told me plenty of times that he doesn't like a piece or something, and I, I've told him sometimes that I don't like some of the stuff he's written. And you know, the collaborative thing, the aspect is like really important. You shouldn't, but it's like it's okay. Right? There's, you shouldn't sugarcoat poetry. You know what I mean? And most of the time, the, the other person's usually right. Well, I mean, in my experience, I, I think you need yeah. those those perspectives because I know, um, like, I'll write stuff, you know, uh, or put words in a certain way. My wife's like, oh, I don't. Like, why don't you say it like this? And I'm like, I hear that, but the way I'm saying it, it's it's you know what I mean, like cause and effect. Like sometimes you want to yeah. cause an emotion and then and then kind of uh, translate it or whatever. Or other times you kind of want to build it, build it, build it, and then you're like smack in the face and you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. So sometimes just the direction of the words. Uh, could really relate what what you want, yeah. and um, having that other perspective from somebody who's not who's not you who's not so close to the art can give you that like breath of like oh yeah I, I didn't know you know or like ooh I didn't realize I was implying that or, yeah that actually comes out a lot when people read your poetry yeah you, you find other meanings right definitely in the way you know everyone has their own cadence the way they talk or they're just reading it for the first time you'll definitely yeah. see different see different views of like your own stuff that you've read a thousand times to yourself you know so working with people is definitely usually always a plus I think yeah well the critique the critique aspect is a, a, a very very valuable uh, source to really become a better writer or, or better acknowledger of self because sometimes people see things that you don't Mm. Sometimes people see things that aren't that mean, and you should be able to see both of those things. Right. Yeah. Uh, solitary self appraisal is insufficient. Yeah. To quote a, a body of mine. Oh wow. I like that. Yeah. That's from a book from the 1930s. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It's you. You can't. You can't uh, dismiss critique, but if it's not honest, it's pointless. Yeah. Right. Something else I've tried to do is not give um, unsolicited advice. Although I, I do it. I, I attempt <laughs> not to. I just do less of it than I would normally or that I feel inclined to. Because I, again, I value um, Robert and Julio and Mistral. Are, um, were my friends before they were, you know, we, we were doing this crazy poetry junk together. So, I mean, uh, I'd like that to remain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's a new bond, man, when you bring a friendship into sort yeah. of your... Like, we've already accepted that. Once we're 12 days into this thing, 
a few thousand miles behind us, we're just not gonna like each other anymore. Right, right, Because right. we're gonna be stuck in they, the car. They're, they're saying that me, I'm just gonna be like, <laughs> it is what it is, it's still like you guys. I love yeah. them, every yeah. one of them. So yeah, I know, like, I'm in, I'm in that same boat, but I know, yeah, I guess it's just, you know, be, you know, you come of age or whatever. I know there's a place in my brain that, that, that my conscious starts to push all this stuff when I know I'm reaching my limit, but yeah. it leaves me at, like, the same place, like, I know it's not like, like, I'm yeah. like, honestly, like, I really don't give a fuck, man. but in the back, the back of my brain, it's like, no. I am, I am currently writing a poem for Nathan, like, because I'm always trying to get, I'm always trying to get, I gotta give for like the last couple of months. I've been like, I really want to give, but I just, I, I don't know how. Like, yeah, I'm not yeah, as, yeah. I'm not as clever as he is. So you gotta I read it on, on your day just before the long ride. Home. I, oh, the, yeah, pretty much before I leave. Just this way, he can't, I can't catch him right a piece back right away. <laughs> so, no, no, I mean, I mean, just before the long ride home, read it then, and well, then. The long oh yeah. Then take it off. Julio is leaving on a bus out of Kansas City because he has some prior commitments. And then Misty's leaving on a plane out of Dallas before Robert and I read in Austin yeah. with uh, John Dorsey, who is um, a friend of ours. We're, we're picking up John in Blue Springs, Missouri in a couple days. I, you know what? I don't really have our itinerary memorized or in front of me, but I know that the next place we need to be is in Houston, and I'll be there. And then after that, Indianapolis, I'll be there. You know? So I just want what I was in front of. Yeah, so yeah, the long ride home is going to be RJ and myself and my girlfriend Norman. It looks delicious though. Maybe Julio will read a poem like that before he uh, leaves out of Kansas City. But That's what I'm hoping. I want. I really want to do that. I mean, I got some ideas. I don't know. I just, I really, that's my goal. That's my goal. That's been my new goal since the start. Well, you know, I'm studying comedy and I'm actually working on like my first five minutes. That's actually why I started these short stories because in my head, that's why I'm doing this because the first time I read them, they're kind of, you know, sad, kind of like, you know, just like heavy stories. Uh, but it's not how I hear it in my head. I hear it kind of like almost like a little kid telling it and you're just like laughing. Like, oh my God, like what? <laughs> that means that you need to, to have a delivery. Because yes. um, I've been told that comedy is just well-timed tragedy. And uh, sometimes I'll read some of my poems that deal with some like really heavy or uh, brutal material. And in the way that I deliver it will cause people to laugh. Yeah. Like Julio has a poem called Grandma's Gone. Where, um, and, and, uh, just the title alone. Yeah. And then it's a recipe, oh, and then it's a, it's like a hook, and then it's a, a switch. So at the end, it's funny. And in the beginning, Grandma's Gone is a poem about how my grandma died, but by the end of it, you're laughing, which to me is a celebration of life and a great uh, homage to his grandmother. But uh, and, and see, and I, I never even saw that until I read it for the first time. When I read it, it, it was, I cried when I wrote it. And... I really, I really missed her so much. And I felt uh, the only lesson I could remember was the rice and beans. So when I wrote it, when I wrote it down, and I wrote the pork chops, because that's the only thing she didn't teach me. I didn't know how else to end it, so I left it there. And when I read it and saw people laugh, I was like, and I started laughing, I started smiling, and then I didn't realize the celebration like you noticed. And ever since then, it's been a, an empowering. Uh, poem for me every time I read it. Is a gift to you? 
Yeah. And smile, it's, like, le- smile, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like, I'm gone. Such is life, you know? Yeah. It's a little 360 right there from Grandma Street from Grandma. Yeah. <laughs> from the other side. That's great. Did I, did I help you conceptualize that poem while we were working one day? No, that one, no, that one is uh, one of my very first poems for the... Oh, okay. Yeah, for my first catalog. And, uh, uh, I was just going through uh, a tough time. Yeah. Every time her her, um, her her day of passing comes around, I go to Whitestone in the Bronx and uh, I visit her grave. And I always get her tombstone and I go back. I don't go to a hotel. I don't do anything special. I always take a bus trip, go over there, go straight to her grave, kiss her, tell her how I did, tell her that my dad misses her, and then go home. Never, never anything else in between. That's yeah. Great. Yeah, I used to, uh, my, my buddy, we were, I mean, I'm 35 now, so I guess nine years ago he passed away. Yeah, uh, 26. Too, too young. And uh, I used to go for uh, for Miller Lane and Shawnee Yeager at the, at the bar he worked when, when he passed away. And, uh, and then that just, it just got, that got destructive. Well, I heard you say uh, a little while ago that you stopped drinking. Yeah, 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 I stopped drinking, but like... I've been sober since uh, December 5th of 2009. Like, I was drinking myself to death and, uh, yeah. and like, all kinds of drugs and stuff. And uh, I relate a lot to what you're talking about. I have a poem called Soul Rock about, uh, it was in May of 2006 that my best friend died. And, um, of uh, fentanyl overdose. And then I read a eulogy at his funeral high on the same drug. And I didn't, uh, it never occurred to me that that was like one of the most shameful things I could have ever done. Which it's not the most shameful thing I've ever done. But I didn't realize how disrespectful that was until much later when I got a better uh, perspective and more clarity on my life, who I am, and how my actions affect those around me. Which I was oblivious to for quite a long time in my life. And um, so I'm no, no stranger to loss. I've, uh, Buried a lot of junkies this year, a lot of junkies over the last uh, like six and a half years that I've been sober and even more before that. So. Something like 15 or 18 or something like that. Yeah, in, in Buffalo. Um, this year it's been. You knew personally, that's when that, when you said that, I thought that was like a, that you heard, but like that you knew personally. Well, I'm really active in um, Alcoholics Anonymous and we get a lot of junkies that come through there. So I'll meet them there and I form, and I feel akin to them. So I form relationships pretty easily. And I'm gregarious. So I like to meet people at who are you? What are you about? Yeah, What's yeah, going yeah. on here? Like, what do you know that I can learn from you? And what can I teach you? Like, yeah. how can we share in this experience? So. Even when it's like depth, it's like how bad did it get for you? And you're yeah. like, oh, wow, okay. And then you kind of uh, rationalize it, and then you realize you, know, you got a new little spot in your brain where you can kind of ping things off of when yeah. time comes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Nathan's so. always been that that person. Like, I, I think, I, I would say that all three of us, in particular, when we started, um, we all had an aspect that kept us going, kept us together. But uh, I would, I personally think uh, Nathan has been like the, one of the biggest reasons why we've been able to do so much, is because he's he's so open and so uh, eager to talk to people. And whereas like me, I'm I'm like uh, I get up to the mic, I don't even know how to promote myself. I'm just like I can read, I'll read some stuff. I'm, I'm driven, and I want to fucking make something. Yeah. you know, I want to I want to share this. I want other people to get on board. I want people to um to write or share poetry in a, a tangible physical book 
you know, it's really it, making chapbooks has not been that difficult. It's just a matter of a little bit of time. We spent some money on some supplies and um, and then some tenacity, and that's something I have is tenacity. Uh, I think almost every girl I've ever dated has called me relentless, <laughs> and I, I'm not saying that like it's a good thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was just gonna, I was just gonna touch <laughs> but, on uh, double edged sword of that word. Yeah, but um, I absolutely approached. Um, so I, I meet people and I see how we can benefit each other and uh, and I try to explore those avenues. So I met John Dorsey. I wanted to go to to uh, Lawrence, Kansas, and Selena, Kansas to breed with my cousin this summer, and that it bloomed into this uh, crazy trip that we're on, which was largely due to John Dorsey. Had I not reached out to him with an email, invited him into my home, shared an experience with him, and then we read in, in Buffalo at Erie Community College. And then in Cleveland at Guided Culture, had that stuff not happened because I sent out an email, we wouldn't be here right now. So it's largely because of my uh, my drive and my uh, insistence on like, capitalizing. Connections. Yeah. 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 I, the more I'm saying it, the more it almost sounds really self-founded to me. But no, 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 no. I do, I do have stuff to offer, man. We're, you know what I mean? We're leaving a trail of chapbooks. We're, um, you know. Yeah, that's why I like, that's, never that's up the, in the face. Lounge, like, shameless plug, shameless plug. Just say the words because I'm like, expose yourself and then just feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he's the face. He's, he's. That's why we acknowledge him as right. the face. Whereas uh, there's um, Lynn Misty. The reason why she's the brains because she's been, she's been the one to figure out everything that came about. It, we don't have, we don't have nearly as much knowledge as Misty does. And her her poetry, it touches you on another level. It's it's an amazing, well crafted poems. It's really heartfelt stuff. And her story alone, I wish she was here because you guys would have been in for a treat. She's a great feminist poet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's, that's sort of her angle. So let's let's touch on angles. Like, what's uh, what would you say your? Let's start with you. What would you say your angle? Where do you work from? If they, if that's from my childhood, I think mostly growing up in Buffalo, um, I hopped around a lot. I had one shitty parent and one good one. So I lived with my shitty parents for a long time. I kind of popped around Buffalo, West Side, East Side, South Side. Um, so a lot of my poetry comes from my childhood, nostalgic feelings of that. And I'm sort of, sort of branching off of that now and getting less literal, I think, more abstract. But I always find myself going back and drawing roots from uh, the, from where I grew up. It is me, you know? So that's pretty much it. Uh, I, um, I started writing because uh, uh, it was a therapy process. At the time, I was going through a lot of stuff. And, um, I attempted suicide in middle of school and uh, didn't really work out well, as you can, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> felt it that too. Yeah, I felt it that too. So I was like, geez, I was most likely to succeed in school. I should have been most likely to commit suicide. Um, but um, after that, I went to therapy and I realized how 
how much bullshit that was. How pointless it was for me to talk to somebody who doesn't even fucking know me, who, does, who can't possibly care about me, to honestly give me uh, the correct answer about what's going on with me, when really the correct answer has been inside me all this time. Yeah. And I just needed to know how to put it on the page. Yeah. And so I came in uh, after... Uh, after my patient died, uh, which I was uh, a home care um, uh, CNA, a certified nursing assistant, and I took care of a patient at home. When she passed away, I wrote a poem, and uh, that was the first poem out of the therapy process that really uh, accurately expressed how I felt. Yeah. And then ever since then, I realized that uh, poetry for me, uh, where I draw my inspiration, the reason why I'm writing is to stay alive. And uh, I don't know, I, just, I, I don't want to die. And so I'm just going to keep writing. And, let, and hopefully, I, people who hear me remember me. They keep me alive. Yeah, so I'm just going to ride this train all the way out. And, you know, and, at the end, what we'll see. Hopefully, I'll hop on another train or something. Yeah. Uh, here is what I wrote in the. Well, it's already in an hour. Okay. It's just a people start in an hour. Okay. That's good news that we're going to start in an hour. Uh, I wrote this in the foreword for my first chapbook because I felt like it described where I was at then. And I uh, just rereading it, I believe a lot of it is still true. So this is where I draw a lot of my inspiration from. I discovered who I am only recently. I discovered that I can exercise my demons and experience relief by writing my deepest thoughts and ugly truths. This book is a whisper from my secret heart, a prayer for the damned and hopeful life. My poetics are what I would call confessional and stream of consciousness. I'm old for a junkie on account of I put the needle down in 2009. I didn't pick up the pen until 2013. I pull from my experience in the squat house and the hell of detox. I draw from the well of hope and the miasma of doom. So I would say that um, I write a lot of my own personal experiences. I've lived a pretty interesting life. I've lived in an abandoned house and now I'm a square reader for my iPhone. Like that's an interesting juxtaposition. Um, speaking of which, I think I left that in our car. I, I should probably get it in case people, in case people try to buy some books. Um, but we, um, we, I made a Kickstarter today. I meant to have it ready for the trip, but in preparation of all of this, uh, I, I forgot about it. And um, it should be up in a couple days. I have to wait for their approval at Kickstarter. But we're attempting to get ISBN numbers and a new printer. And ISBN numbers can only be bought from one, uh, from one place, which sounds like a monopoly to me. But they're, uh, it's like almost, uh, it's a little under, a little under six hundred dollars, all said and done, to buy ISBN numbers for the quantity that we need. So we're starting a Kickstarter with rewards. So in the days to come after today, which is the twenty second of July in 2016, in the, the next, like, let's say, 35 days, uh, if you look for CWP Collective uh, ISBNs in, in printer, something like that, I forget what I titled it, but it's CWP Collective. If you look for that on Kickstarter, there's some great rewards, including audio recordings of us reading and a, um, and a personal appearance by us within a three-hour drive of Buffalo. So we'll drive three hours and read for you wherever you want. If you name a place, we'll help uh, arrange the time. And this is the next step, right? Yeah, of becoming 
official. Yeah, ISPN numbers. We need ISPN numbers and then uh, not for profit. And uh, all said and done, I think it's going to cost us about $2,000 to do that. And then we will be a uh, legitimate, recognized uh, press and with Library of Congress um, digital identifying numbers. And when we start then publishing people, in my opinion, now they can put that on their CV. Like, yeah. We put, you know, the, we made a uh, book home for Luna C and for uh, Claire in as Hart, and we're, um, our friend, um, I'm sorry, I cannot think, I'm pretty sorry, I cannot think of her name, uh, she is, uh, Megan Cook, Megan Cook is, uh, when we, when we get back to Buffalo, I have an appointment to meet with her about us making a book for her, and in the, in the short time we've been making books, they've gotten to be a better quality, we've cut down our costs with, uh, with getting better quality, as a result of less error, when we made mistakes, it cost us before, and now, now it doesn't, yeah, because we're not making the same mistakes, we're making new mistakes, <laughs> the way I want to go. It's growth. It's growth. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it's been a, an amazing feeling to to personally touch every page and every book that we've created. And honestly, how cool is it to to not just hear someone that you like and then buy a book from them, but to know that they had their hand in that book. Yeah, yeah, and they gave it to you. It's it's amazing. It's a personal connection. It's uh, you know uh, I heard about the original Dumbledore in uh, in Harry Potter an interview, and he spoke about the uh, audience and how uh, audio is the word for audience and how. When you speak in front of a live audience, your diaphragm is actually connected to your audience in like a physical, spiritual, and emotional way. You know that you're actually delivering that sound. I'm getting goosebumps from that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, same, same. I listen to this guy say it. And I'm like, I'm fuck, like fuck audio recordings. You know, you're like, I want to go out. And, like, touch I want to connect to your diaphragm. <laughs> Um, I think you should ask for permission first before you do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've stapled all the books we've made, and we've made all... Um, He's the best stapler ever. Yes. Yeah, I've, uh, if there was a competition, he's got it. I've, uh, we've made um, 12 different titles, and we've done more than one run of several of those titles. So I'm, I'm willing to bet that I've stapled like 1,500 books. Yeah, we made them all at, at a kitchen table, and um, we tend to do runs of 100 because it's a nice round number. Yeah. And, uh, each folded by right? hand, yeah. um, each and every single page has been printed by us. Everything, everything uh, around the book, besides making the paper, which is something I've been working on. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's like, uh, what's the word for it? That's like your boutique stuff when, you, when, you, when, that, when that time comes. Yeah, yeah. no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, if, if this takes off and becomes something, like, if, if this fails, and like, no one gives a fuck. I don't care. I'm making books. Other people that give a shit are, are buying them. Uh, we're buying their books. We're trading for books. You know, we're accumulating quite a library of, of other people's work in our travels, and it's been uh, it's been a really a lot of fun. And so far, I'd say that we're on this trip so far. We we're in the hall. 
like we spent quite a bit. We spent quite a bit. Of money, uh, to, to get it sounds it. like a success story. Yeah. yeah. So, but um, but I, I feel good. I'm smiling. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm hungry, and I'm I'm gonna reach home in a little less than an hour, and uh, I need to drink water and some food yeah, before water. that. But uh, I mean, I, we made it to the Jersey Shore. We're, we haven't killed each other yet. No. And, uh, and I've had a. Uh, a powerful experience, not only with my my closest friends, but also my lovely girlfriend. <laughs> so, so that's when you know I say that's a success. If no one buys any of these books in store and it all comes out of my pocket, our pockets, I should say, and whatever. I got to read some poems. That's it. We we, 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 we um set a high expectation when we when we first printed our books and we went and did a book fair and, uh, in Buffalo uh, it was its 10th anniversary and uh, we got a table and we sold books for, for two days and we were just shocked uh, how well we did how how connected the scene is once you start talking to people and once you start learning where there's other other readings and who you can go to to uh, get some advice in this or or kind of steer you in the right direction and it's all there this cesspool of poetry is just waiting to be tapped into and you know hopefully at the end of it we can do, um, divert some of our own back into that pool so it's never empty. I think that's a good place to, to leave it off. You guys is well, I was going to give you one a book by each of us. Oh, great. It's Julio's first book, Miss, Miss Charles' first book, uh, Bobby's first book, and my second one because I have more copies of it. Beautiful. <laughs> so there you go, man. Enjoy. Well, all right, and uh, lastly. Lastly, uh, I accidentally bought tickets to a comedy show in, in uh, Webster, New York. Uh, and uh, on uh, September 25th. You can come stay in my house, man. All right, well, it's you and your wife. It's for markets. Uh, great. <laughs> I mean, I was kind of trying to dump them off on somebody. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> from Buffalo. Like, how far is that over? I don't know how far that is. Webster, New York. Yeah. It's like I saw, like, it's funny because as soon as I bought them and realized they were the wrong ones, uh, I put it into Google Maps, it came up, and I literally swiped over having met you guys, and I'm like, hey, there's Buffalo. <laughs> I think Webster's just uh, outside of uh, Rochester. Yeah, and, no, you're uh, right, it is. Yeah, and uh, it's about an hour away from 40 minutes if you're driving with us. Yeah, okay. <laughs> don't, don't put that on the radio. <laughs> but we know shortcuts. <laughs> well, I'll hold it to your invite, and, but, and I'll stay in contact with you guys. But if you guys change your mind, it's Mark Barron. It's his new tour. If you guys uh, okay. yeah. you guys want to go too. Yeah? Yeah. I, oh, my God. There you go, right? <laughs> Mark Barron? Great. <laughs> <laughs> the poetry scene in Rochester is also great too. There've been some really yes. great uh, people there that we've met, and we're constantly branching out to cities. That's, That's what great. we're doing, trying to connect Buffalo yeah. to everywhere else. Well, that was my other idea. I was like, well, maybe I can just go out there and have a good time. I've got, I've got a place to stay. Yeah. Nice day trip. And I may just take you up on that just for the experience. Yeah. 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 I live with my mom, but we can totally, like, arrange the rooms. All right. Yeah. No, it'll be well, one. Can both, with mom. His mom's awesome. Can both of your kids sleep in one room? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to kill each other. Yeah. 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 Models arrive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. Can't wait for later. It's a long time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
show. I hope you enjoyed that. It was a little, uh, little loud and clanky. We were at uh, at Dino's on Main. It was a hot day too. I was trying to get them down here in Sunjin, but um, you know they kind of just collected in that area and stayed in that area. This way, everything was right there, within reach for them to do their show. And, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna make this one short, man. Throw away your vote. Write Bernie Sanders in. Fuck Hillary. Fuck Trump. Criminal joke. And, uh, and buy my Mark Maron tickets. You hit me up, mindspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Instagram, uh, minds underscore podcast. That's me. Hit me up, man. Let's make a human connection. Uh, I'd like to meet somebody out of this whole thing, and you can get my email confirmation. And, and my and you know my tickets are at the place at will call. You bring your IDs, you get in. I already called and made sure that the uh, the transfer policy was was lenient for that event and that evening. And if there's any uh, any revelations I get, if there's any changes in things, anything that I can get them to do for me, where I can make things easier, like get the printout tickets, which I should have done in the first place, I will let you know. You'll be the first to know. So this is yours. This is ours. This is Mars. is his debut performance. Give a big uh, special Joe's welcome for Jay Hernandez. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, my name is Jay Hernandez. I'm the host of the Minds podcast um, on iTunes and stuff. Uh, trying to handle a little comedy, if that's what you want to call it. So uh, I guess uh, here we go. I met a girl recently, uh, Vanessa. Nice girl. Kind of pissed my wife off, but... Uh, you know, I understand. She's she's a strong, independent woman. So I started laying out the benefits of having a third. I'm you know telling her I'm like, all right, here we go. You got somebody to walk you to the bathroom uh, and drive you to the airport, uh, and then you can extend the buddy system to the kitchen as well. Uh, secondly, if in the event of a stalemate in the household, we got somebody to break the tie. On top of that, lastly. Um, the last time I spit on and choked uh, Vanessa, I didn't end up in handcuffs until after she came. That's awkward, right? <laughs> Having kids changed everything. Anybody got kids in here? I got kids. I got kids. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a rough road, but, um, uh, you know, and just around the house, just around the house, you can't just sleep with the first naked thing you encounter anymore. Things kind of awkward in the middle of the night, you know. 
Secondly, somebody shit the bed, and this time it wasn't me. But I gotta clean it up. And when your kid comes running into the bedroom in the middle of the night, found a spider in the bed. It's only gonna work like the first two or three times. So last time my kid came barging, you know, barging in the room, coming at me, what are you doing to mommy? I looked at him, I realized honesty is probably the best approach, and I told him, that's not mommy. Little squirt. <laughs> Speaking of squirts, you guys know that feeling after sex? Like you just went uh, swimming? No? Laying there and the, the, the towel fibers are just digging into your back? Ow. Like you just took a dip in the kiddie pool? You're hoping it's not all pee? <laughs> You got me, Dr. Scott. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. As for you wet ones out there. Uh, uh, lastly, um, you guys ever have uh, inappropriate expectations of your parents? See, like, my, uh, I always did. I was uh, imagining okay. So my parents split when I was young, and uh, so I'd always be hanging out at my dad's apartment, uh, probably getting into trouble or whatever. He was always around, either fixing cars or seducing a teenager or something. And, uh, you know, I'd be down there, as young kids do, and jerking off, like, all right, just, you know, doing my thing, got mirrors on the ceiling, so I'm checking myself out, I'm like, yeah, I get it, sex, man, you gotta do, you know, you gotta do what you can when you're young, all you got, it's all you got to you, you know, but I'm imaginative, so I'm, I'm just wondering these things, like, man, it'd be great if dad could, uh, you know, if he just brought down a prostitute, you know, like a nice, nice freshie, maybe a little older, so she can just, you know, pop out her dentures and gum me right. But then my OCD kicks in, I'm like, no, that's not practical. He's not going to do that. Even if he did bring down a prostitute, he's something like an escapee from mental ward trying to tell me about the time that uh, Uncle Carl wanted to play milkshake in the tool shed or something like that. So strike that thought. Next thought. Nudie magazine. I could use a freshie. You know, those hustlers, man, with the uh, pregnant girl spreads, I think that does something to you. That was, that was my first encounter with, uh, with the ladies from, from, from Dad's cabinet. You know, so I'm like, all right, so prostitute, reading magazine, prostitute, reading magazine. Someone comes barging in, I pick myself up, do a little alligator roll, it's dead. Gives me that awkward, uh, awkward eye contact, so a little awkward pause. He goes back to doing what he was doing. So, so do I. So I'm back at it again, I'm thinking about the prostitute, thinking about the movie magazines, mirrors on the ceiling, prostitute, movie magazines, mirrors on the ceiling, sexy motherfucker, prostitute, movie magazine. And then out of nowhere, I picture my dad just, just giving me a couple strokes, I figure he can help, my imagination is going nuts, and I'm trying to shake that thought, but then I start wondering, well, he's an older dude, he probably knows what he's doing, might feel better than my numb left hand, so... Prostitute, nudie magazine, dad jerked me off, mirrors on the ceiling, prostitute, nudie magazine, dad jerked me off, mirrors on the ceiling, all of a sudden I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And then I wake up. It was all just a bad dream. As I roll over, dad's staring me in the eyes, I realize we're both laying in a puddle of my own man batter. And that was the last time we shared a bed. You guys have a good night. I'm Jay Hernandez. All right, Jay Hernandez, thank you very much, Jay. And we're gonna leave the mic up there for our next comedian. That was a debut performance, a debut of Special Joe's. Where's the place you normally do your Mine's podcast. Mine's podcast, okay. You made my day. <laughs>